In today's episode, we pick up where we left off in our conversation with digital sponsorship guru, Nick Lawson. In episode one, we discussed the current state and trends in digital sponsorship. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing actionable strategies that you can apply to your organization and your business. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience, and we try to figure out what are the trends that they're paying attention to? What are the experiments that they're running? What are the principles that have helped drive success for them throughout their career? Then we apply all those things to sports and entertainment. Now, we are sitting down with Nick Lawson, and this is part two of our conversation. So if you haven't listened to it already, go back and listen to part one uh, that we just aired. It's a great deep dive into the current state of digital sponsorships, uh, where we're going, and some of the things that Nick is seeing out there in the space. Now, when we think about digital sponsorships, Nick is my go-to guy. So he runs a company called Squad, if you didn't listen to the first episode. Uh, and Squad really does a lot of digital sponsorship activations and contests that really help teams drive trackable results for their corporate partners. They have some incredible clients that they work with, everybody from the Columbus Crew to the Chicago Bulls to now even teams in Europe, uh, big soccer teams that they're using the squad technology to better connect with their partners and their fans. So highly encourage you to go check out the company. Again, you will see that Nick is incredibly knowledgeable about this stuff. Without further ado, let's jump into part two of my conversation with squad co-founder and CEO, Nick Lawson. What drives me crazy is, um, is this in sponsorship and, and, and really why we did a lot of this deep dive is what I wanted to figure out, uh, was what, how can I best explain to teams what the problem really is? Because I think in sponsorship, we don't really know what the problem is. And again, as I, as I, as I brought it up, there's two problems. There's one main problem, but two problems to it. One, the main problem is we have too much goodwill and not enough efficiency. But if you added efficiency, we would be crazy valuable. The second one is we don't look for ways Going off the efficiency thing, we don't look for ways to really moments. It can even just be one moment for our brand to stand out so that fans will remember it long after that. And those are the key, key pieces that what I'm hoping with, you know, some of my content and even coming on this podcast is, look, I'm not, I'm not knocking you as a team for not, you know, doing this. I'm just saying, you know, it, it's not taught to us in sponsorship. We aren't taught how to run Facebook ads and sponsorship. The only reason that I learned this stuff is because I worked for a digital agency for three months and I walked into that agency and I was like, hold on, you mean to tell me that if we don't 3X somebody's dollars here, we're going to get fired? And they're like, yeah, if you don't 3X their sales, they're going to put us into review. And I'm like, man, when we sold sponsorship, I just put that sign up and you know, my recap meeting was this many people saw it. And they were like, here's no, some pretty pictures. <laughs> yeah. Like that's not going to fly. So it's, it's like, yeah. I think that's the biggest, the reason why I'd harp on this and get so fired up about this is just like, there's a clear answer. It's not, it's, I wouldn't say it's an easy answer to mm -hmm. solve, but when you, we come to the realization that sports sponsorship assets, the majority of them are massively inefficient products. We can start to think for easy ways to make them more efficient. 
Um, and that's really when, again, to your point, right? Every partnership across the board, not even just sports, nobody ever said, if you spend a dollar with me, you'll get $3 back. And I think the reason why is we don't even have the mechanisms to know if that's the case, right? We don't even have the inventory to know if I'm actually returning your sales. And that really just makes it a relationship game, right? Um, that's that, that it, it, when, whenever something like this becomes a relationship game, all it takes is one person to retire or one person to move sponsorships for you to lose that deal. And I think the holy yeah. grail of this is if somebody le leaves and somebody else comes in and they're just like, you know what? I think we're spending way too much on, on this sports teams partnership. They can't argue with you because you're right. going to come in and be like, well, look, you're spending a dollar and getting three back. Why would you ever stop working with me? I think that's where we need to get in partnerships. And I keep every, I think I said this on the last podcast around every year I say, you know what? Brands are going to leave and brands are going to mass exodus. And then every year sports sponsorship spend increases. And I think <laughs> somebody's asked me that before they've said like, Hey, if you're telling me that there's this doomsday coming, why is it billions of dollars increase every year? It's like a 8% global increase every year. My answer is there are people's jobs. It is to sell sponsorship. You can spin sponsorship to somebody and build a relationship with them very, very easily. Right. And a lot of times it just comes down to, if you're a good salesperson, you're going to close the deal. Right. So it's like, there's a place here where there may be a lot of pushback from internally of people just being like, why are we spending our marketing dollars on this? But some relationship has been formed. Sure. Somebody's really good at sales and really good at persuading people to purchase. I think that is why every year it's gone up. <clears throat> I don't think sponsorship will mass exodus anymore. What I think will happen is dollars will start to be unevenly distributed to certain teams. The teams that mm. add efficiency are going to get 20% of the overall spend, let's say in the NBA compared to other teams, because as national brands start to look at it, they're like, look, this NBA team says they'd give me $3 for every dollar I spend. And they're correct. This NBA oh, team yeah. is telling me yeah. awareness. I'm just going to, I'm not going to change how much I spend. I'm just going to shift those dollars to other teams. Makes sense. Um, all right. One thing I want to hit on is sponsors that go in and they do a cool activation, a cool experiential activation, and they get a bunch of emails and they do the right step of maybe they do one, two, three steps right in your, what, what are your four steps again? What are that? What Awareness, they? uh, engagement action, which could be an email yep. lead if that's yep. your goal. And then the fourth one is the retargeting. Okay. So they've got the phone number, they've got the email, they've got the contact info, whatever that action is. Have you seen any great examples of, or of programs that where you've seen sponsors really put together a promotion or a contest or something that keeps fans engaged? Yeah. You know, um, this is a big piece. Uh, I see a lot of people getting to the, um, action phase and then forgetting about the retargeting phase when they build the packages. Um, you know, some people might not know this. If you have an email, you can literally put that audience into Facebook ads, Snapchat ads, Twitter ads, and say, I want to retarget everybody that's on this list with advertising um, so that we can reach them well after the game. I also, this is the crazy part, you can create a lookalike audience, which is basically going to say, I also want to figure out everybody who looks like this, this group of people 
and I want you to find me new people. Now in sports, that scares the absolute shit out of me because here's what I would do if I was a brand, if you don't do the second piece of this, I would literally go to a team and say, look, I'll pay a hundred grand. Your, your goal, get me as many emails as possible. I need at least 10,000, right? I would run that. <clears throat> I'd get those emails. Now, great. It probably wouldn't be a hundred K. It would be, you know, some other spend. Once I got my 10,000, which is a great sample size, I then would say, amazing. Okay. How much is your IP rights only? I only want to be able to use your logo. And then what I would do is I would take those 10,000 that are known fans. I would target them with activation or re retarget them with purchasing things. Then I would create a lookalike audience. And then I'd say, hey, look, Facebook, find me everybody who looks like this demographic mm -hmm. of people who engage with my game. What Facebook is going to find is that they're all, let's say Bengals. They're all Bengals fans. I no longer need you as a team to go find me new fans. I can let an algorithm figure that out for myself. And I'm only paying, let's hope, 20 or 30 grand a year for the use of your logos. And then I'm just going to run those, those ads trusted by the bagels. And that's the only thing I need you to stop on. And then I'm going to run that. So instead of selling a $150,000 package, I'm only spending a $20,000 package. I'm actually probably reaching your fans a little bit better than you are, right? I'm actually probably discovering some fans in my database that you mm -hmm. didn't even know you had, right? That scares me. The solution to this is to build in retargeting into your package. So I always bring up the Winter Hawks with Toyota. Uh, years and years ago now, Rich came to me, which he's not at the Winter Hawks anymore, uh, but Rich came to me and said, like, look, Toyota wants to connect with car buyers. Like their big goal is I want to connect my salespeople with car buyers. How can we do this? And we said, great, if that's the goal, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a trivia scoreboard. You're going to play trivia at the game. We're going to earn that email address. Instead of just handing that email address over to the sponsor, what we're going to do is we're going to say, in addition, we're going to run targeted Facebook ads for you. It's going to come from us internally. And what we're going to do is we're going <clears> to <throat> segment those users by zip code and the local dealerships are then going to send a uh, retargeting ad that says, when this dealership wants to send you to a Winterhawks game, Click here for your free tickets, only 10 available. Hmm. Fans would click on that and then type in their email, right? They would only have 10 tickets. 300 people would respond. So you were getting oversubscription of people wanting to engage. They'd give them the 10 tickets. And then this is how you tie in that physical space to still keep it. Toyota had a corner that was called the Toyota corner, right on the edge rinkside. So then what would happen is those 10 people would then come to uh, the game and sit in the Toyota corner. What then we said was, hey, when it's your night, when it's your dealership's night, send your salespeople out. Sit in the corner with them. Don't sell them cars. Only connect with them. Buy them beers. Ask them if they're having a great time. And at the end of the night, give them a card and say, hey, if you're ever in the you know market for a new car, I'm so-and-so. I'd love to chat with you. What that ended up doing was not only hitting Toyota with, they saw it at the game to play trivia. They saw the Facebook ad. They went to the landing page and added their email. They then went to this Toyota corner and then they engaged with the salesperson, right? By the way, the salesperson had every single email of everybody who was in that corner. So he didn't need to ask for any information. 
you knew who you were because you took those tickets. They then rinsed and repeated that every, uh, every game, mm-hmm. um, huge success. I can't share the, the, the yeah. total numbers that Toyota got, but huge success. And again, this comes down to <clears throat> going back to what I said, sponsor goal. What's the most efficient way to get there? Had, had Rich not put that retargeting piece in, it would have just been a trivia play and more signage. Um, again, I can't say how much Rich was able to upsell that, but he took that's it right, from a right. one-year deal to a three-year deal, just with that addition. And that's where it comes down to why wouldn't Toyota just run their own ads? Well, the Winterhawks did it so well themselves that they basically paid the Winterhawks to run their ads for them, right? Yeah. So that is, that is a, that's a piece where I always tell that story because you can do that with any activation that you're collecting emails on. Obviously, there's some nuances, but mm-hmm. if you add that into your package, you're talking about so much more money because you're not just collecting an email and handing it over. Because again, if I'm a brand, you just hand me emails. I'm like, cool, man. I'm going to pay 20 grand for your logo and just run ads yeah, run until you stop me. Okay, so so question. So obviously in that example, they're using squads trivia game to be able to do that. Now, as we look at where we are in 2022, are you guys as squad helping brands retarget as well? Or or how how is or is it still kind of up to them to do that? Yeah, you know, we for any team, I mean, and here's the thing. There's some teams who are dialed in with this, and I don't have to tell. Yeah. They already yeah. know it. You know, it's not like I'm coming in and, you know, coming from scratch with this brand new idea. There's some teams that are listening to this and there's like, we already do that. I don't know why Nick's talking about this. That's great. You know, we don't do that, but for any team that's interested, we do teach. So I'll get on with an hour or two hours with you and say, here are the exact mechanisms for setting up this campaign and here's how you can run it. Um, and then, you know, the teams can kind of run it from, from there. So we don't do that as squad, particularly right now. Our big, mm-hmm. my big focus is there's two, there's two things our activations do very well. One is earn email leads and build your audience. And two is they send out coupons. And what I want to do is I want to get you not just an email lead of, Hey, enter your email and you're entered in to win a Jersey, right? I want to make that experience so memorable so that when you reach back out, right, in the case of Toyota, that outreach came not from, oh, yeah, you know why they're reaching out to me? Because I entered that contest for a free jersey. They're basically saying, oh, yeah, I played Toyota Trivia. That was really fun last game. Oh, and now this dealership's giving me free tickets. So I Mm. think from our end, what we want to do is we want to be the assist person to say, I'm setting you up. I'm giving you the most valuable email lead because it's an engaged lead and somebody who is not only engaged with your team, but also with the sponsor. I, we then kind of put it back on teams to say, okay, great. Now's the time to really come through and finish this cycle, whether it's you doing it makes sense. or again, sometimes, I mean, honestly, sometimes brands have this dialed in as well. And they're just like, look, we got it. Now, sometimes brands think they have this dialed in. And I play one of our activations and then I start getting email retargeting messages that are, you know, not the most segmented. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of cringe a little bit because then at that moment is when it feels spammy. Um, but again, if you're a team and you can build in that retargeting, that fourth pillar or that fourth level, the amount of value you can bring is, can be the difference between somebody signing or re-signing with you or moving on. 
We have like 10 good questions that we haven't gotten to yet. So first question, give me a little bit more rapid fire here. Um, where, what are, what are some more resources that are out there that like you've been upskilling lately in this, in this world? I think I asked this two years ago, but I got to imagine there's a lot better resources that are out there now today. Yeah. You mean just as far as like resources you can look up or. Yeah. 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 That I can, that, that I can learn. learn. If I, if I'm a sponsorship guy, you're changing my life with this information. Like where can I go to start digging in and, and getting more versed in this type of stuff? Uh, number one thing, if you're in sponsorship, you need to start learning YouTube. Um, like YouTube ads or what? Just YouTube. How to hack YouTube. How do you get the most amount of views on YouTube? Um, and I say this because number one statistic, 56% of all sports highlights are consumed on YouTube. Interesting. More than half of the sports highlights that are consumed are consumed on YouTube. Um, second thing, I think it's, I think YouTube and ad pre-rolls, yeah, it's 2 billion a quarter in brand spending with them. Wow. American family insurance spends $40 million a quarter on YouTube ads. Holy cow. So if you're in partnerships, um, I literally would tell you, and, and sports people go crazy on me for this. I would ditch Twitter and I would say, we're not selling sponsored tweets anymore. Yeah. We're, <clears throat> who, who knows YouTube? And there's little tweaks. I mean, I've been saying this for a while. I haven't, we haven't gotten to finishing it, but we have, um, we're, we're putting together a document of like the little tweaks on YouTube. So for example, YouTube is just an SEO game. Mm -hmm. What you name your video file, YouTube will scrape and look at to rank you. And obviously your goal is when somebody types in, let's say for the Sixers, Joel Embiid, right? Right now, I bet you if you Googled or you typed in Joel Embiid, the Philadelphia 76ers would not be the first thing that pops up. And I bet you Cam's highlights 573 would jump you and have more views than you. Um, and that's because these, these kids sitting in basements have figured out how to hack YouTube to get the most amount of views. Um, and I was in this with <clears throat> the real case study that came to fruition recently. Pat McAfee. Pat McAfee had absolutely nothing. He started a YouTube show. He got 1.25 million followers. Um, started bringing in guests, right? If you look at how much it costs him to produce, probably not a lot. He just does video calls. FanDuel signed a 10-year deal with him. I think it was FanDuel draft because I think it was FanDuel. That was in the millions of millions of dollars per year from building that. And what basically FanDuel said was, Look, we're only going to spend X amount of dollars within sports partnerships. We think that Pat McAfee is a better place to spend our money than with the direct sports team. Mm -hmm. And if I'm, if I'm in an NFL NBA team and I'm looking at that and I see that deal happen in sponsorship, the first thing I say is how many people do we have on YouTube? How many, you know, why aren't we getting more reach and who's going to be able to do that? Um, so if there's any grads out there listening, like literally, like honestly, I think the next, the next big phase in sponsorship is look, once we figure out the efficiency thing in stadium, great. Obviously we have some reach on social media outside of stadium, but if you can be the team that can go to a brand that spends $40 million a quarter in YouTube ads and say, let me get 7 million for this year. It's only 7 million of what you spend, but I guarantee you're going to get in front of these many, mm -hmm. um, followers 
it's it's unequivocally the number one thing that I would do. If you said, Nick, here's your team, you're the sponsorship director, you need to triple sales in the next three years, go. First thing I would say is, great, we're building our YouTube channel because all I have to do is go to a brand and be like, hey, are you spending on YouTube? Well, yes, we are. What if I told you that we could we could reach X amount of people that would be fans on YouTube with pre-rolls as well as um, just in, in, in the video content? Immediately, they'd be like, cool, that, that works for me. I'll spend those dollars with you. Um, YouTube is unequivocally. If I'm in sponsorship, I'm looking at YouTube and seeing I, I, how we can optimize. I've been seeing more and more stuff with that. I mean, we, we've got a kid here who is in Cincinnati and I was just with him this past week and meeting with him up, up with him later this, this, uh, later this week. So 19 year old kid got burned out from his last job, d- never went to college. was like, and eh, it's not for me because at 18 he was making 250 K a year because he was working with one of these massive YouTubers with 10 million followers. And literally he's just like testing a B testing what graphic works best. And he's like the cheesy ones that you that don't look as professionally made work better and he just got really good at optimizing here's 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 how to phrase the title and here's how to do this and when we do it this way versus that way we're getting quite literally millions views more and that's worth a lot of money so anyway it's youtube definitely is something to be paying more attention to if you're if you're listening to this well and i'll i'll dive in a little bit more on this because i'll take a little more time because i have two things for you the first one there's a guy named the hockey guy going on for your story. He's a guy in a basement with a really low grade camera. He has a cat named shadow and a whiteboard. And all he does is go on and says, Hey, it's trade deadline. Here's what I think is going to happen. This goes here. This makes the best sense here, right? The hockey guy has more YouTube followers than any NHL team. That's nuts. That's nuts. With a 10th of the, va- of the production value. He has that. The hockey guy also lets Volvo run YouTube pre-roll ads on his on his channel. That is sponsorship. Anybody who has a Volvo partnership, I guarantee you Volvo was like, look, do we want to spend on this team? Or do we want to get the guy, hockey guy who's reaching way more hockey fans? Um, my second thing is I have a nephew. He's, he's, he just turned six. And I watched him become a sports fan and choose his teams. His entire family around him is Warriors fans. Um, and Raiders fans. He lives in Portland, Oregon, so he should be a Blazer fan. He's a Philadelphia 76ers fan, an LSU fan, and a Cincinnati Bengals fan. Let's go. Who day? And that makes no sense other than when I used to watch him, he knew how to go on YouTube, and he would type, type in top basketball highlights. And Joel Embiid not from the Sixers, but Joel Embiid highlights was the first one to come up. And that was the day he became a Philadelphia 76ers fan, which by the way, cost the Blazers a lot of money because that kid has like seven jerseys, right? (laughs) Then he typed in football highlights and LSU with Joe Burrow Mm -hmm. showed up. And then when Joe Burrow gets drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals, he becomes a Bengals fan. So kids are literally becoming sports fans based on whoever has the highest YouTube ranking when you type in keywords like best basketball player. And that blows my mind because teams spend an enormous amount of money to get kids 
like everybody tells me like we can't get kids to you know become our fans and they're only fans of players and and all this like my nephew can name every single player on the philadelphia 76ers roster including the g league players that jump up and jump down like i got a top shop highlight from somebody on the 76ers i was like yeah i just got this highlight I don't even mm-hmm. know who this guy is. I showed him, oh, yeah, so-and-so. He played this many games. They went to the G League. And so, so again, it's like the reason why I harp on YouTube is I honestly believe it's going to be like that secret thing where you're like, man, how did this team go from here to here? And you're going to peel back and you'll be like, you know what? They had a YouTube. really good YouTube strategy. Love it. There's so many things we haven't gotten into yet. Uh, like, I mean, we, we, Katie and I were talking about it. We're like, should we ask him about his thoughts on NFTs or any of that? The one thing I we have to cover is like, what are your predictions or, or what's next for digital sponsorship activations? We have to hit on that. So maybe let's touch NFT and then let's touch that and then let's get out of here. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, NFTs from from a brand and a sponsorship perspective. So here's my view on NFTs from a sponsorship perspective. Um, I think version one of NFTs are the, the cool thing that can maybe make you really rich. And same thing with sports cards, right? Like, why do I buy Top Shop packs other than I hope I get Stephen Curry or Clay Thompson or Baron Davis, you know, whatever Warriors, is that I hope I pull somebody that's going to be like really rare, right? <clears throat> so that's the first step of it. I think where NFTs get really interesting in sponsorship is when there's utility with it, meaning Imagine if you go, and this is a little bit crazy and needs to be thought out. Imagine if you got an NFT because let's say like, so for the Bulls, we do Portillo's, the hot dog one, where um, you win a hot dog. If somebody misses two free the Bulls. Imagine if there was an NFT that if you entered in your email, and again, a secondary thing is you have to make it crazy easy. You can't have people entering their Ethereum wallet in because no, fans sure, want to adopt sure. that, right? And, and OpenSea even is is a little bit easier now when, with certain applications that they've added into it, but go ahead. Exactly. Um, but I think, let's say when that happens, everybody who enters their email gets an NFT that guarantees them a free hot dog the next day. Because again, an NFT is really just a, a contract, right? You now own this thing is your ownership until you want to sell it. Now imagine if we've added in a few, you win hot dog, free hot dogs for a year. Now what I can do is I can win that free hot dogs for a year and be like, you know what? I don't really like hot dogs. I wonder if I could sell this to somebody else who wants free hot dogs for a year. Then I can sell that coupon to somebody else. Portillo's or the Bulls or whoever team can get dollars for it every time it sells 10% mm-hmm. of the next transaction. Interesting. And then on top of that, like this is where it becomes a collector's item. Interesting. Uh, it's really interesting on that. Who missed it two free throws. Giannis missed two free throws twice this year when that happened, LeBron once Tyler hero. So it was these key players. Imagine you owning the NFT of the free hot dog, even if it was one hot dog and on it, it said you won this because LeBron James missed two free throws and a loss to the bulls. Right. Now all of a sudden Portillo's is tied with this amazing, amazing thing that can mm-hmm. be digitally shared, right? And I think that's where the interesting part is one utility. Can I get free hot dogs for a year in that contract? Number two is um, can I make this a memorabilia thing in the same way that bobbleheads have sponsor logos on them so yeah. that you constantly see it? Can right. I do that same with NFTs? So I think 
those are the big pieces of it. I think the biggest detriment to NFTs right now is there's a, I don't want to call it scams, but there's a lot of fluctuation, meaning I, I had a, I have a Mike Conley, um, top shot from the 2021 all-star game. There was only 2021 mm -hmm. made when, when I first got that thing, it was worth, uh, like $3,000. If I would have put it on the market, I'd be lucky to get $5 for it now. Uh, yeah. Top shot, top shots really dropped off from valuation it, perspective. Right. So, so then, it, so then it becomes, okay, well, I'm not as motivated to check out my top shot thing anymore because it's not worth my money. I think right. that's the trouble I see with NFTs is just like, it can, it can down spiral to where somebody pays $10,000 for that free hot dog. If <laughs> next week it's worth a thousand and now all of a sudden well, you're sitting there with the fan and your brand logo is on something that lost them $9,000. That's never a good look for a sponsor or a team. To totally. But that's where the utility comes in. A year's worth of free hot dogs has a monetary value to it. Whether or not the collectible piece looks cool or not, like that's, I think that's where top shot, a lot of top shots downfall was, is that they strictly said, okay, it's going to be the same thing as trading cards, like status, digital collectibles. And you're like, okay, but, but that's ultimately you're a hundred percent priced on someone's perception of value versus yep. utility. You can say a year's worth of hot dog feeds me. And that is real thing. That's a real thing. Yep. Um, yep. The other piece, the other piece where you could combine this, and this is what the Mavs do. So the Mavs, you get a free NFT if you attend the game, but they only send it to you if you're, you stay into the fourth quarter. See, I love that. That's utility, right? It's not a totally. sponsorship utility, yeah. but it's utility. You can't leave early. I don't care if the Mavs are being blown out by 20. You cannot you, leave early. You want the NFT you know how, to stay. You know how many fans probably stayed that game, whether totally. it was the Mavs blowing somebody out or them. So that I think that's that's a that's a perfect example of like NFTs are cool and they're the cool thing now. I think NFT 2.0 in sports is utility. Can I attach something that has some value to it, other than can I become rich off of this or not? Totally. All right. Last thing before we close this out here. Sorry for taking so much. You're good. We'll, we'll I, said, do I can talk about this for, forever. No, I, 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 every time I talk to you, I always learn a ton. So I'm like, let, let's keep going. Um, all right. So where, what are your predictions for digital sponsorship and digital sponsorship activations? Where are we going from here? Yeah, I think <clears throat> there's two sides of it. The first is um, our stadiums right now need to be repurposed into what I call digital playgrounds. So that means everybody, the most amazing thing about right now as a marketer is everybody has a phone and that phone opens up a world, right? Whether it's on the internet, whether it's on social media, quite literally now, whether it's on the metaverse, right? Our stadiums are not really built right now for us to fully interact with that phone. And by that, I mean, we may have like, let's say a squad contest, right? We may have a squad contest at halftime, but that's only one moment, right? I think without getting too out of control and, and, and people have talked to me like, Hey, how, the question usually is asked on this is how do teams survive the metaverse where someone's going to want to watch at home way more than they're going to want to watch in the stadium. Right. What, but why do, why do they phrase it like that? Like, how do they survive? Like, bro, you have a following with, with a following, you can do whatever you want. Go and how do we embrace the metaverse and use that to well, advantage? I, but go ahead. And I think I think the way you beat the metaverse is 
humans want to interact in physical spaces. As much as I played Madden tournaments for seven hours a day, some Saturdays, this next Sunday, we went out and we played football, right? You couldn't get me to only play video games. And that's just because if you really look at humans psychologically, we crave physical spaces. The metaverse will never replace walking into a soccer stadium and smelling fresh cut grass, right? So that's the advantage we have. The disadvantage we have right now is there are not cool ways for me to interact with that physical space digitally. So I think the next big thing is meshing that and not going crazy overboard. You don't have to make your entire stadium this like crazy, you know, oh my gosh, every single step I take is a new digital thing I can do. Right. But I think we can really look at our spaces and say, look, how can we make this, how can we take this thing that's your phone in your pocket and make this experience 10 times better? And what are some ways that then we can engage sponsors in it, right? So for example, at this competition, there was this really cool company that what they would do is, um, you have a scoreboard activation, but what they did was you scan the code and quite literally, once you scan and create an account, they would have uh, cars. So the entire stadium would, it would, the screen would populate with everybody's car. And it was a giant race where every single person is trying to navigate and literally, you know, 10,000 people are driving, hitting each other. And the goal is to have somebody be the last winner, right? Hmm. I mean, that's our race game times 10, right? When I saw that, I was like, that's amazing because with our race game, there's only four, usually four or three racers. You're picking which one you're excited. That's the next step. How can I actually be involved in this and be the last person hmm. to survive? Right. That's where you think through that. And again, is there a blank wall on your stadium wall? If yes, how can I interact with it? And if I don't want to pay for a screen to do that, how can I take this phone and be able to interact with that? And then how do I tie it with sponsors? So I think that's the next step is we do a great job in quick moments in time, but without going overboard and authentically, how can we really turn our stadiums into digital playgrounds? I think the second thing is what we're trying to do with our fan title. There's so many more places that fans engage with our games outside of the stadium that we've forgotten what are some ways that digitally we can pull them in so again fan tile whether it's putting up i mean like we even thought about taking a cube a giant cube and putting it just in the middle of town square with qr codes on it where it says like scan this to be able to do x right if you're walking down that in the middle of that square you're gonna scan right you're curious and now I'm getting you to engage outside of the stadium on just your everyday walk to work. Whereas a lot of times we think about digital sponsorship of how we can either only on social media um, engage that fan or in the stadium. There's a third item to that, which is where are places that fans are communing together or they have like their on the way to work habit. Where are those places that we can engage uh, them and build up that inventory. And I think that's where it really gets interesting to where, again, a tile in a bar or in a subway, having QR codes where you can see live highlights, right? If you scan it, those are places that sponsors can be engaged, but your reach is going to go from in stadium or paying attention to on social to, I now have this huge audience and it's purely because I put a cube with QR codes on the walk to work where I know 
people always walk between these two subway lines. I love it. Yeah, I, I, I think the more attention does need to be paid to this larger funnel of fandom and placing sponsors in different points in that larger funnel, right? And that and that's where even where the metaverse conversation goes into where I mean that's I, I spend a lot of time like thinking about that stuff and playing in that space and and for for me where it is it's like that is just another element where a different group of fans potential fans are everybody's a potential fan if you can engage them in the right way and and communicate with them the right way and show them you're interested in things that they're interested in and so when I think about the metaverse like we had Javier Martinez who actually is a Man City guy. Um, and former Disney guy, he came on the show not long after you did back in 2020. And that's what he talked about. He's like, there's only 10% of our fans will ever come to our stadium. So how can we use these more digital spaces to create experiences for them that hopefully they spend enough time with us in those avenues and in those venues that they say, you know what, I'm going to save up money to go watch my team in person, right? And so it's the same thing with the bars. It's the same thing out in the streets. Right, you have enough interaction that are positive outside the stadium in that larger funnel with the team. Eventually, you're going to save up and you're going to buy that jersey, and then you're going to buy that ticket, and then you're going to buy a single game, and it's going to be a group game and season. We pay a lot of attention to that funnel. We don't pay a ton of attention to the larger fandom layers and tunnel yeah. or, or funnel, yeah, and, if you will. So, and just to kind of round that out, call me old school. I don't think the metaverse is fully going to take effect because, I mean. I can remember early days when Facebook came out and people were like, people are only going to make relationships with each other on social media. I mean, that's not the case. Go to New York city, go to the bars. It's, you know, now it's packed. People are engaging. It's just us as I believe us as humans, um, will engage with physical spaces and will always have that craving no matter what I think the bet again, the best way is to mesh the two. I don't think the metaverse is the future. I think. I don't think VR is the future, to be honest. I think AR is where everything is going to yeah. win out because it meshes the physical with the digital in a way that our that our brains can actually crave that. And I'm not saying there's not going to be some stories about people who only live in the metaverse. People are buying houses in the metaverse, spending tens yeah. of thousands of dollars. So I'm not saying there won't be people like that, but there's just big overall people need to engage with physical spaces. And I think that's the most valuable thing we have in sports and that will be passed down generations. I think the biggest thing is, is don't optimize for a fan who thinks the metaverse will never work. Optimize for the fan who thinks the metaverse will work, but I can convince you that our stadium is better than the metaverse because I've mixed in some of the digital things you're more, um, you're more comfortable with. Um, in that next generation, hundred percent. So, like, uh, have you have you are you familiar and have you kept up with like the Nike Crypto Kicks and like the new exactly. NFT? Yeah. So, I I own two of those. Um, nice. And like, I'm I'm pretty deep in that community of like the Clonex, which is what we did a podcast on it, and the whole Nike NFT, like that bigger community, super cool. Some of the nerdiest people I've ever met are in that community. And they're building all kinds of things for the metaverse. The people in the community are. Uh, and Nike's done a great job of like saying our followers are creators. And okay. anyway, now that being said, we've got a meetup in person in New York in May 11th. And like tickets are selling like that because people want to, people have, we've been engaging with each other on Twitter, but only a few people have ever met up in real life. And so we're like, we all are really excited to meet up in real life. Also, that being said, part of why those crypto kicks, the 
digital NFT version of those kicks are so cool is because all of us are like, we, we're going to be able to get these in real life too. Like we'll be able to forge a physical item. Like I would not be super excited about just like a JPEG, but like yeah. the fact that I can get that rare JPEG in real life too, like I'm hyped about that. And I think people miss that AR. It's the AR aspect, right? And like I, the, the clone, the JPEG, like part of the really cool thing is that I'll be able to wear it as a filter on this podcast. And <laughs> that is like a cool thing. Like just having it to have it is not that cool, but like using it in AR is way cooler. I, I'm with you there on that prediction. When I only... I only got back into Top Shot because I got retargeted on an ad to take my Top Shot video and mm-hmm. basically create this this uh, screen that shows my uh, Top Shot that I can put on my desk. Yeah. And then immediately I was like, you know what? I have this really cool Draymond Green assist. And then I went down a rabbit hole of like, well, it'd be cool if I could, if they had any Baron Davis ones because I grew up in the Baron Davis era. I was just like, that's what I want. Next thing you know. I'm not only about to buy a Baron Davis Top Shot thing for $80, but I'm also going to spend another 120 for putting that in a physical thing. And that was the physical part of it is what got me back excited about Top Shot. So I think you're right. It's, it's got to be a hybrid. As with everything, right? It has to be a hybrid. You have to understand when building these products that there has to be some physical piece to it because human intuition, human psychology, just the way our brains work, we have to engage physically. That doesn't mean that it can't be 60% digital and 40% physical, but you need to build that in. Otherwise, you know, you may get, you're going to get a very niche following, but you're not going to be really able to kind of push that out until you add in those physical pieces. All right. I think that is a <laughs> good as place as any to stop. We've been going for a while now. We're splitting this episode into two parts, but Nick, it has been awesome having you with us. Uh, any final pieces? Where can people follow you? That That's probably the most important thing because you're dropping great knowledge, blog posts, great tweets, lists all the time. Where can people follow you? Yeah, um, probably best place is LinkedIn. Uh, when we talk about digital spaces, it's probably where I'm, I'm most active. Um, and just type in Nick Lawson, CEO at Squad, S-Q-W-A-D. Um, and then I'm also on Twitter. You're going to get more of the upset with the Raiders draft picks and in, in Warriors game on that, but it's at and Lawson PDX is there. Uh, but yeah, follow me on, on LinkedIn. If any of the listeners wants to reach out and have a chat with me, I always love, I always love it when somebody hears one a piece of my content absolutely disagrees with it and wants to talk about it because that helps me understand a little bit more. So, uh, I open that up in my DMS of just DM me, absolutely tell me i do not agree with you and i'd love to talk to you about it and uh and and i'll take the phone call with you but i think overall just kind of as we end this is in sponsorship we have to be more curious as to how the other piece of it meaning how other people do advertising works and what that does what that needs to happen is to have real conversations with ourselves to say are we really the best form of our product and if we're not we can't just be like oh, well, we're still going to keep doing what we need to do. We have to question that even if it gets us in trouble because otherwise we're going to be stuck there. Um, And I'm not saying we won't sell sponsorship. Uh, A million fax machines are sold every year, but I guarantee you the fax machine industry is nowhere near the Dropbox industry, right? Or the email industry. So I think as you look at sponsorship, we could definitely just generate $64 billion a year. 
The next thing is how do we turn 64 into 120? And that means having real conversations with ourselves about these things. No doubt. Nick, it has been awesome having you. As always, look forward to the next conversation. To everybody that's yep. listened, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer-centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.